Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Hexed and Heal. I'm that astrologer, Fairly Theta. Even if your practice is totally solitary, your magic comes from somewhere. Witchcraft highlights relationships between elements, environments, you and the universe. Ancestor work can be a valuable way to heal yourself, discover your magical origins, and untangle some of the knots that prevent you from being your most powerful self. On this episode, I sat down with Trinity Patterson, the witch behind communing with spirits, to discuss ancestral healing and how the past informs the future. Um, so I'm Trinity, um, Trinity Patterson. I am over at Communing with Spirits, and um, I've been on my path for 17 years. Um, and I started actively with my work when I was 12. Um, I bought a book on moon magic, a tarot deck, and then another book called Nocturnal Witchcraft, Magic After Dark by Constantinos. Um, and I remember that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was my intro, um, in an active way to the practice. Like most people, I had plenty of experiences prior that led me onto the path, but I consider that to be like when I started my work, um, in an active way. And so from there, I was still kind of in that stage where I didn't want to work with um, deities or anything like that. I was coming from a kind of like agnostic standpoint. And so um, I didn't like the idea of worship or, you know, any of those kind of like constraints that I felt were part of organized religion at the time. So um, what ended up happening was through that, um, I started working with animals mostly. Um, And so I came into the practice mostly through working with animals and insects. And um, I worked heavily with owls throughout high school. Um, And I actually had an owl that lived outside of my bedroom window when I was in high school. It was a great horned owl and he would always fly over me when I would wake up in the, like when I would leave the house to go to the bus stop to catch the bus, he would always fly over me. Oh, that's Um, incredible. Yeah, so I worked heavily with owls during that time. Um, But as far as other things that were coming up, um, I was working with Anubis um, first. He was kind of like my my entry point. And um, I was doing a lot of work with the dead and kind of like the fairy, the dead to to the other side and, and that kind of stuff. And so that was most of what I did when I was in high school. Um, from there around the age of like 16 or so, I had my first, um, encounter with a spirit guide that was not anticipated during like a meditation kind of a situation. Um, and it ended up being Baba Yaga, but I didn't grow up knowing about her because, um, any of the like kind of Slavic ancestry that I have is not something I grew up knowing about. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like inside of her, her hut. And I distinctly remember certain things about the interaction, including like that there was a window, um, to the left, to her right. Cause she was facing me. So when I looked, it was like on the left and I saw the tops of the forest trees and there was always a moon, but it was in a different phase every time I would go in. And, um, she was the one who really kind of like shoved me onto working even more with, um, spirits and with, with animals and things like that. And so I went pretty heavily onto that. And then through that, uh, in college, I was working with, um, uh, like roadkill and animal parts and stuff like that through ethical sources. 
and turning them into art. Um, and it was a way of the um, kind of animist recognition mm-hmm. um, of them in and of their purpose. Um, and then in 2018, in February of 2018, um, I had a reoccurring series of dreams. Um, prior to that, in October of 2016, my paternal grandmother had passed away. And I was real close to her. Um, then in February of 2018, I had a series of recurring dreams where kind of the moment that I would uh, go to sleep, I was flung <laughs> physically <laughs> into a space, you know, uh, how that goes. So I was flung into uh, the snow in a forest in kind of early morning, um, glinting snow kind of uh, thing there. And the snow was like up to my like thighs. Wow. And I, yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, why am I here? Why do you guys keep, every time I would fall asleep, I was just thrown into this space. And at the time I wasn't interacting with the space. I was just like, what is going on? Um, Then I ended up doing a meditation. And in the meditation, Um, A spirit came into the frame and she kind of came from the right hand side of me and she tilted her head in that curious way in front of me. Like, what are you doing? You know? Um, And it turned out she was a lineage ancestral spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my encounter with her was that um, again, in the snow, she, she took me back to the snow and she had all these reindeer that she was kind of herding, but that were at the moment foraging in the snow and she looked kind of like my paternal grandmother, but was different enough that I was like, I don't think you're her. You know, she had these braids on us, t- two braids, one on each side. Um, but there was silver in there, um, which my grandmother was always very proud of, of the silver at the end of hair. Um, so there was silver in there. And um, she was, you know, kind of wearing like bulkier clothes that you would sort of anticipate in like an Arctic atmosphere, right. I would I would suppose. Um, and she, she was smoking, which my grandmother loved to smoke when she was alive, um, like tobacco. Um, so she was smoking and she kind of sat me down on this log and I asked her like, you know, kind of like, why am I here? What, you know, what's going on? And she was like, well, you know, we brought you here because you need to help bring the ancestors back. And I was like, okay. You know, um, at that point I had had no interaction with ancestral work. Um, I didn't even know what I really thought about it or how I kind of thought of ancestors as like a a structure, you know? Um, And I was like, okay. Um, And my interaction with her, um, when you interact with the lineage spirit, they are the sum of a lineage. So Mm. they have a a big presence. um, And with that as well, um, they kind of have like a shimmery quality to them where they're kind of like moving a little bit. Uh, imperceptibly. So uh, I was like, okay, sure. I have no idea what that means, but I will do it. Because that's what happens when you've been on your path for a long time, right? <laughs> just, just yeah. it. You're just like, just okay, go with it. I don't know how this is going to happen, but sure. You know, yeah. that's, that's what you guys want me to do. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so um, then I had the same dream with me being flung into snow after that encounter, but um, I looked up at the sky. And when I looked up the sky, I saw a rune. And I should preface this by saying, despite the fact that I've had like a rune set since I was like 16, I don't actively work with runes. I don't really know a whole lot about them, um, even though that's a lot of where my ancestral um, 
villages and stuff are in Germanic speaking areas. So um, it was a rune and it was um, Hansus, <laughs> which is also, uh, I then found out when I Googled it, um, that it was probably like the perfect rune to describe everything that I had been experiencing. Um, because it's all about um, ancestors and kind of like sovereign power of the mind and consciousness and breath of life. Um, it's commonly associated with Odin and kind of like um, ancestral breath and the idea that like it's coming through the line down and it's like a continuous breath of life. And um, with that, you know, using the voice for spiritual and magical purposes is part of that. And so is um, through communication, you gain wisdom to begin a new path. And I was like, <laughs> guys, <laughs> you know, um, and that was how my ancestral practice started, really. Wow. So. That's um, that's a that's quite an, an introduction to ancestors um and it's funny that you know so one of the things that I definitely wanted to kind of get into and I figured you would definitely have some insight in this is kind of the difference in like ancestors and family uh -huh. because I think that there's a lot of um the resistance I see often to people who are just like I don't want to do ancestor work or I'm not sure how to approach ancestor work or people who tend to either be disconnected from or not have good relationships with their families. Um, so I really like the fact that we've already kind of established that, you know, this is a different thing. Um, you mentioned that this was a, you know, lineage ancestor that appeared to you. So why don't we talk a little bit more about what that actually means? Yeah. So um, the kind of I don't want to say tears, but sort of like the tears of <laughs> yeah. um, is that you have um, oftentimes your like recent dead, which are usually people that you did know in life, you know, your grandparents, your uncles, like those sorts of people, your parents. Um, and it's actually not recommended to immediately work with them um, in ancestor work because usually they're doing their own thing. Um, oftentimes they have things that they have to deal with and figure out mm. before they can reach the status of being able to help you in an ancestral way. Mm. Um, and so through that with, um, I've been doing a lot of work, especially recently, I started taking Daniel Four's ancestral uh, lineage healing classes. So um, he has a book called Ancestral Medicine that I also um, would recommend that is a companion to the class. Um, but basically, he rates it on a level of wellness. So like a one to, I think one to three is like unwell. So like those are your ancestors that do not have your best interest at heart. Um, usually they're still dealing with their own baggage in some sort of a way that they may try to express through you, um, mm. which I can kind of talk about um, after that. But the second one is kind of like your average dead. They're just kind of like, they're just there, you know, and they're not malicious, but they're not ascended, essentially. They're just, you know, they're just hanging out. Um... <laughs> and uh, I have a story about encountering my own, but, um, and then you have your, your well ancestors and, and the well ancestors are the ones that they've gone through all of that and they've joined their line and they have received kind of like the healings and the blessings and that sort of stuff. And they're able to then be like a, a figurehead kind of for what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And they can kind of bestow that upon you mm -hmm. um, as a result lineage spirits are extremely well lines basically where like the line itself has become a cohes a cohesion of spirits mm. and they appear to you in a form 
And the form, in my experience, isn't necessarily one type of person or one type of part of the line, but like an amalgamation of like everything together. And there's usually something about it that is similar to someone that you did know that passed away. And, and that purpose is also because one, it's probably coming from that side, but also that way you have like a frame of reference of like how this person or how the spirit is kind of like related to you, so to speak, you know, right, um, right. versus just like a random spirit that comes to you. And you're like, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, it gives you like a frame of reference, um, essentially. That makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I imagine it's much more easy to relate to a spirit coming to you when it's like, oh, this kind of reminds me of somebody that I knew before. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Um, um, that's really, I mean, I, that's so interesting. And I think that, you know, it also kind of further emphasizes the fact that, you know, um, individuation and family trauma, I think, are kind of interrelated in a lot of ways um so it is really fascinating to think about this whole idea of like you know when when you pass like there's this process of like Mm -hmm. you know the individual rejoining with the collective Mm -hmm. to represent this larger purpose yes yeah absolutely and I definitely I strongly after having been doing this work and having been encountering my own um blood lineage ancestors but then also um, ancestors are very transient. Um, so it's not just like the people that you're blood related to, even though they are there, they're important. Um, but you also have the, um, ancestors of place, you know, so the land, um, and with that as well, you know, from an animist perspective, I consider the native plants and animals and streams and mountains and those sorts of formations as well to also be ancestral. And I've seen that kind of in a reciprocal way. Um, within my practice as well, I've definitely made connections with a couple of not uh, um, other than human um, ancestors, I'll say. And um, they've been able to provide a different kind of uh, blessing or a different kind of like information. And I find that with them, um, as well as kind of like Within the last couple of <clears throat> within the last couple of months, I've really gotten the uh, very strong impression that they're very concerned with the idea of relationship, and much more so than your average kind of like human, even just like an ancestral kind of thing. Um, even though when you are encountering your ancestors, it's best to approach it as though you're you're fostering a relationship with with another person. You know mm-hmm. you. You, you need to be able to be present and, you know, that kind of stuff. But with the, my, with my work with the other than human ancestors, I've found um, that it's very related to the idea that all things are a relationship. Even the things that we don't think of as relationships are still a relationship. And I feel that that comes out extremely strongly within like magical practice in general, because so many people don't consider the importance of relationship. You know, what is your relationship to the land that you're, you're gathering from? You know, that's going to influence the, the magic that comes from those plants, you know, as well mm-hmm. as what's your relationship to that plant, you know, um, as well as kind of the whole typical correspondence type stuff that people usually kind of like are aware of what time of the day, what, day of the week, you know, all that sort of stuff, what time of the year, 
Um, I think people tend to overlook the importance of relating directly to it, the, the thing itself, you know? Um, Absolutely. No, I think that's, um, that's something that I have only recently kind of come into. And it sounds so terrible when I think about it, because, you know, like you, I've, I've been in this for a very long time, you know, like it's been years and years and years of me just in this. And mm-hmm. yet I think that there is a modern condition that we're so far removed from the origin of things, including ourselves mm-hmm. that, you know, when people would talk about like having a relationship to a space or a plant or something like that, I would kind of like, I'd be like, Oh yeah, of course. And then like it, it's, it's, it does not process in your head mm-hmm. until you actually do forge a relationship. You know, if you if you plant something from seed or, mm-hmm. you know, you um, you start a new life in an area and, you know, really experience that, you know, quality of soil, whatever it is, it, it really does enhance your relationship. It, it forges a relationship mm-hmm. with that thing. Um, and I think that it really does... It's not even just in terms of like the spirit of of a plant or you know the spirit of a of a land. It's everything. It is including our ancestral lineage and everything mm-hmm. like that. We think of ourselves as these floating islands, mm-hmm. and somehow we are we're just here. We're the sum collective of everything we've experienced, but it doesn't go far beyond that mm-hmm. um, in most people's mind, at least. And I think that's really one of the fascinating things that. Um, you start to hear about when you talk about ancestral healing and, you know, lineal lineage healing and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's something else too, where uh, there there's definitely, of course, socially in the mainstream, you know, people on average don't really count the the personhood of non-humans, you know, or other than Mm -hmm. humans. And I think within people who are drawn to, you know, magic and witchcraft and stuff like that, we're a little bit more open to it um, because we're, we're usually more open to the idea of spirit and the idea of the unseen and, and those sorts of connections. But there's definitely still a, um, you encounter a lot of people who tend to view their, uh, their kind of power or their capacity as just being theirs. Mm-hmm. And they don't count on the fact that, that they're, they're like a vessel for all of these other relational things that are happening around. And then also, of course, what you've developed and what you've kind of, you know, fostered as a person, but you know, you're also carrying your people with you and your care, you you know, your relationship to the animals and your relationship to the plants and to the land and everything like that influences as well, like your breadth of work and like how, how far it can go when it has those kinds of relationships where they're like, oh, you know, you know, I will go ahead and I will provide energy to this because, you know, this is part of our, our relationship to each other, you know? Um, and it really kind of makes it much larger than just if it was coming from a, a single entity or a single person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that tends to get overlooked a lot because we don't think about the importance of relationship um, and a lot of practices. That's absolutely true. And, you know, I think that is one of the things that is so different about magic and witchcraft as a as a path or even an interest is that it kind of forces you to recognize the scope of your impact. You know, the actions that you that you perform, the, you know, um, the causes that you are involved with, even if they're very personal, they still have it's it's like a spider web. You know, Mm -hmm. if you kind of pluck one string, it's you're 
going to feel it on the other side. The question is, how do you want that to be felt? How do I need to pluck the string so that it's felt the way that I want it to? Um, it's it's very different from, I think, a lot of the things that I've seen and heard from others. And it still kind of baffles me. Again, having been in this so long, it baffles me sometimes that people don't think about things like that. Um, and yet, here we are. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I definitely kind of feel that our kind of overall intention there is to be stewards. You know, we're not meant to dominate or to control, but just to help and, you know, foster those types of relationships, you know, and when you think about the relationships that already exist in nature, like it's, it's kind of mind blowing at a certain point, because you think of like the existence of ecosystems and like the fact that like so many things are working together to create these spaces and to create this um, element that is not man-made, you know, that it's just mm -hmm. nature doing its own thing. It just naturally is creating these spaces of stewardship and these spaces where, you know, they don't need outside influence to be able to survive and to be able to thrive. And I think that, you know, we need to be part of the ecosystem, not separated from the ecosystem, not trying to control the ecosystem, but part of it, you know, we're just part of the greater whole in that kind of a sense. And I think that's uh, one of the really valuable things about, you know, reconnecting with ancestors. You know, it puts you in this ecosystem of humanity. Yes. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about, you know, and I think is really fascinating to me, um, is also you've done a lot of work with DNA, right? Um, and how, like, I'm so curious about how that has, you know, helped shape your ancestral practice. Yeah, so um, I have always been kind of like a scientific-minded person. Um, so for me, my exploration with DNA, so I had that experience with the lineage spirit. I started making a formal family tree because I was like, how, you know, where do I start? So I just started making a formal family tree. And then from there, I was like, okay, you know, I have kind of an idea of, of what's going on here. Let's go ahead and let's take a DNA test. So I took my first DNA test. Um, then later that year I took, um, another one, um, because each website's different. Each website has its own algorithm. It has its own, um, classification system. It has its own resource samples. So you're going to get different results from each, but they should still be kind of within a cohesion of sorts. And so what I did was I did that. And then I started, um, I like collecting data as a result of my scientific, <laughs> um, minded self, so I started uploading my results to all of these other websites. And then each time I get an update, I have a spreadsheet where I, I include all of the updates so I can see how it has changed over time. And then I average them together. And then that gives me an idea of like, okay, so for this region, it's probably something around this. And I find that to be extremely helpful when going into DNA testing um, because it's not face value. Nothing about it is face value. Um, and everybody wants it to be face value because the way that we kind of operate is that we don't consider before us, mm -hmm. you know, so we don't consider that like, well, Germany has only been a country for like, what, like 200 years or something like that. It was Prussia for like forever prior to that, which included parts of Poland and parts of other countries as well that are now modern day separate countries. 
And we also have, you know, like, I mean, with Austria-Hungary, I mean, Hungary also included Slovakia and parts of Poland and parts of Ukraine and parts of Romania and all these other countries. And so when you say, like, my ancestors are from here, what does that actually mean? You know, (laughs) what what does that actually mean? And so for me, when I started doing kind of the DNA testing, I was going through and I I did a lot of uh, learning about population clusters and the way that populations cluster together, as well as uh, history of places. And so for me, I found the most kind of like richness, I would say, from DNA testing by going through and if you're in a privileged place and able to find out, find out where exactly, like what little village people in your in your family are from. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, it's it's different. Um, it's different than saying kind of German, you know? Well, Northern Germany and Southern Germany are not the same and neither is Eastern and Western Germany. So when you're saying that, what, like, who are you talking about? You know, mm-hmm. like, what is the land like? What are the, what are the beliefs of the people who used to live there, you know? And it creates a different kind of picture if you're able to hone in and go, this little province right here is where my people are from. And so then I would start going through and Googling images, you know, I would start looking at videos that people had of like droid footage of over these, these lands, you know, what is, how do I feel about the land, you know? And for me, um, with what you were saying before about how a lot of people kind of shy away because of the the, the human part of it, right. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to interact with the people. Um, I found a lot of um, richness and kind of a really great entry point was the land itself. Because when you look at it and when you're actually kind of like in a, in a space where you're hearing it and all these sorts of things, it does something to you. Um, and I experienced that too when I, when I was traveling in, in Europe. Um, and I ended up, I only went to like, I think like one place that I actually had ancestors to because this is before I knew about my own people really. Right, um, right. But I did go to another area that did end, I do end up having relationship to I don't know exactly the definition of what that relationship is but I have a strong impression of the way that I felt mm. when I first kind of stood in that place and was like wow this is amazing you know and then coming back and being able to be like oh well you know my people were there at one point you know um it has like a different kind of impression um, yeah. on you as well well I I think that's you know something also that should probably um is worth noting because there is the scientific background of you know like oh my dna says that you know my family came through this area or i'm from this area and obviously we talked a little bit about my migration patterns and how that also you know ancestors are you know largely migrant they're they're all over the place but you can't discount the feeling that you get when you make a connection so even if you don't have the paper in your hand that says i am related to this place i'm related to these people i think there is a strong pull where you know part of you recognizes something in that situation um you know, it sounds kind of like that, that must have been a feeling that you had in that place where it's like, I recognize this on some level. Yeah, definitely. And it was, um, it was just really interesting kind of being there and having kind of like this overwhelming, energetic feeling of just like, wow, you know, and um, with that as well, I've found that 
um, DNA can um, tell us quite a bit where it can kind of like imply certain things about our very, very distant, more ancient ancestors, you know, pre-Christian kind of going mm-hmm. back um, for those of us in Europe, pre-Christian. So I've been there for a hot minute. Um, so so going farther back and going to like the tribes that were inhabiting those areas um but also kind of even a little bit further like I think it's it's important to I look at a lot of maps as a result so I think it's important to look at the area itself like if you say okay this village okay what did that village look like a hundred years ago okay what did it look like a thousand years ago what was happening there, you know, 2000 years ago, what kind of groups were going through there, what kind of, you know, pottery cultures or, you know, um, those sorts of groups were actually like going through in catacomb cultures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going through there. And so also like looking at the art that was left, you know, and the burial sites, you know, um, and those sorts of things, I think it kind of points out the, I, in my opinion, when you do a DNA test and you actually engage with it um what it should give you is the impression that borders are not real and Mm. that we're all actually just connected in some Mm -hmm. sort of a way you know and 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 that everything that we think we know about, about all these places is not actually necessarily like the truth when we look farther back it's much more nebulous and it's much more kind of like everybody's you know interwoven together in this in this kind of fabric and so um, with that, it's just, I think it provides a very um, reciprocal nature to your own practice. Because I've mm-hmm. also found through, I've, I've had certain encounters um, spiritually that I've then been able to corroborate physically or been able to corroborate within my tree or within my cousin matches or things like that. And so I don't see it as being separate. I see it as all kind of being connected. It's just different ways of, of processing the same kind of information, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, like anything else and like relationships in general, it's what you're willing to put in that you also get out. So if you go into this experience looking for the magic and the interconnectedness and to connect yourself to something larger, then there's a lot of reward to be had in that Um but, you know, it's not going to come back to you on the paper that they send you or the email that you get back, you know. So I think that's, you know, its own thing. So, okay. So we've talked a little bit about um, ancestors versus family. But what about, you know, concepts like ancestral healing versus like family trauma? Um what does does one inform the other like you know when when you look at this are you looking at this as a karmic cycle like what what's your take on this one yeah so um uh, a little bit of my own kind of personal way of um viewing it or the way that I've kind of come to the conclusion and then I'll talk a little bit about um how that relates to the Daniel for um tears that I was talking about before. Yeah. So, um, my personal perspective is that we not only have our shadow, right? So like most people are usually familiar with Jung's shadow of the self, you know, like we don't just have that. In my opinion, we have three shadows. We have ourselves, we have the shadows of our ancestors, and then we have the shadows of the collective of what happens when you're born in a certain area and what you receive. Um, and so 
family trauma, I think, is very related to the connection of our shadow bleeding in with the lineage shadow. Because oftentimes you'll see certain things will get expressed, like alcoholism, sexual abuse, things like that. And it'll look like it's hereditary almost. Like it's just, you can kind of go back in time and it just keeps repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually talked to my grandma, my maternal grandma about this the other day. Um, But I believe that what happens is that when you're encountering unwell ancestors, um, even if they are not outrightly malicious, um, they can still impact you through your shadow. Um, And so what I mean by that is, um, say, for example, you have a grandfather that passed away that was uh, that struggled really heavily with alcoholism, you know, and say um, your father, you know, say it's your paternal father, say your father is very against drinking. You know, he's he's kind of taken that whole path of like, absolutely not, not ever, you know, and then say one day during a moment of vulnerability, suddenly he's drinking. Um, and it's uncharacteristic. It's not who he is. It's not part of his personality. In my opinion, that looks a lot like the shadow of his father came is expressing itself through him and merging with his own shadow and it's becoming mm-hmm. part of him. Um, because when we experience things as people, we know that that also informs our shadow, you know, the, the different types of experiences that we have are part of that. And so when we physically enact something that is out of our character, that is not kind of part of how we identify ourselves, um, usually there's something there that's related to our shadow. And so in my opinion, the merging of the shadows is where we get a lot of family trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think that's probably a pretty good um, image for the uh, codependency that tends to come along with a lot of those situations, as well as this, this merging, this lack of boundaries, this just kind of becoming one together, but not in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in my opinion, that is how that gets expressed. And it's because, you know, sometimes people are like, well, why do ancestors need us to help them? You know, if they're ascended, if they're, you know, all over here, like, why do they need us? And it's because if you've ever done spirit work, you know that there's a limitation to what spirit can achieve without a physical body. Mm-hmm. And we can influence our environment very easily. Um, it's usually very taxing because being alive is pretty taxing, but we're still able to, <laughs> you know, achieve um, an influence over our environment that's very direct. And spirit has to go through something physical in order for that to be direct. You know, when you get a message from an animal, you know, they still had to go into the animal in order to convey that message to you. And in order to convey or uh, and exhibit change in the environment. And so in order for us to be able to heal a line, they can't do it without us because we have to be able to to make the establishment of what's going to happen, give them the, okay, like, let's do it kind of thing. And then we have to continue to acknowledge that work and continue to kind of like energetically give our well ancestors kind of like the, the feed sort of Mm -hmm. thing, you know, kind of like, Hey, here's an offering, you know, keep it up. You guys are doing great, you know, kind of encouragement. 
on the side. It's yeah, I, I think it's worth, you know, looking at it too as like resource sharing. You know, you are it takes an immense amount of resource to be alive and have this human experience, but it also takes, you know, resource to continue on afterwards. So it's not such a it, it's not like, you know, like, oh, why do I have to care for my ancestors? You know, they're not alive anymore. I need these resources. It's like, yes, they still need your resources and also thought and care are human resources. So, you know, we're still, we're still contributing in that way, or we should be contributing in that way. Yeah, definitely. And it's also kind of like the reciprocal part of just being connected kind of to them too, is that we aren't separate from them. You know, I mean, from a scientific kind of genetic perspective, like we are the sum of all of them genetically. Um, we wouldn't be here without their genetic contributions to us. Yeah. And we've also found through the field of, um, I think it's called epigenetics, um, that they've started to discover that we don't just have the genes from them, but we also inherit the way they express themselves. And the way they express themselves can be influenced by things they experienced when they were alive. And I think that also relates to the family trauma thing. So what they did was they found that um, people from certain communities, um, like African-American communities, um, you know, Jews that had survived the Holocaust, like these communities that had experienced like these heavy, just like awful experiences ancestrally, were still predispositioned for certain things like depression, lower cortisol, you know, all these sorts of like things within their bodies. And they did uh, studies with like, uh, I think it was like mice or rats or something like that. And they found that like even like seven generations later, they were still expressing the genes the same way and they were still dealing with it in the same kind mm. of way. And I think that explains a lot to me about just like ev everything, um, but also kind of like the way that we have certain relationships to things. So for example, you know, if your family experienced starvation or if your family experienced like food struggles or, or issues with food, you know, you might be more, um, like your body might be more likely to hold on to the fats that, that you accumulate. And it might be harder for you to get rid of it because your, your gene expression is just like, no, you know, like, like we, we can't get rid of it. Like you, you need to survive. Mm -hmm. And it's still caught in that kind of like, you know, 1700s or whatever kind of experience that isn't happening now necessarily, but your genes obviously are not aware of time. So um, in that regard, they're still expressing themselves in the exact same way. And I think it goes through that as well with other things. Like I think certain fears um, I think can be ancestral, um, certain behaviors um, mm -hmm. I think can be ancestral. Um, you know, certain things like this that, that we don't talk about as much as being kind of like a uh, part of that expression, I guess, um, mm -hmm. that I think I think it accounts for a lot of what we experience. Yeah, um, I was I'm kind of thinking about um, you mentioned like layers of shadow. And I think that honestly, the shadow explains so many things that we don't like talking about in a lot of ways. Um, but I recently reread Young's uh, Votan. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read that exact essay, but um, he specifically talks about living in the shadow of a culture, like living in the collective shadow of a people. 
um, and how how really predisposed you can be to recognizing the worst of something and then actually like electing to express it without necessarily making the conscious election to express it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's obviously a very apt, you know, um, observation for the times that we live in. Um, but it also is something that I think really we we should be more conscious of as individuals, you know. We are, like I said, so removed from the collective at this point, and yet we're completely beholden to it at the same time. So we have, you know, these ancestral lines that we have no connection to anymore. And yet there's a very good chance that we are somehow living in the collective shadow of these cultures that no longer have any physical connection to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's super funny because I have not read that, but I obviously 100% agree with him. Yeah. Which, you know, it's yeah. not surprising, but yeah. um, I absolutely agree um, in that in that regard. And I think that it's um, kind of like, it's almost like it's porous, you know, mm-hmm. like our, our experiences with, with our relationships to everything is, is very porous. Um, and so boundaries are really important. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. As well, kind of um, the thing with ancestral work is that it's important to acknowledge that it is extremely steeped in shadow. Um, but it can feel a lot like a Pandora's box sometimes. Like I've, I've definitely had experiences where I'm like, I could have gone my whole life without knowing that. Thank you. You know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of a thing, you know, and um, I know that that is one of those things where like, you know, oh, you know, you think you're dealing with ancestors, everything's great all the time, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, when you're dealing with the dead, the dead are a lot like people in general. So it's not really that much different um, in that regard, but as well, um, certain secrets, certain things can start to kind of bubble up. And um, oftentimes they're family shadows that start Mm -hmm. to appear. And then you're just like, Oh, why, why am I doing this? You know, you kind of have that because now you feel kind of burdened almost, you know, like now you know about it, but no one else does who's alive, you know, or something similar to that. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that um, ancestor work provides a uh, extreme feeling of like inner wholeness when you're actually going through and you're actually processing it. Um, it provides a very strong sense of uh, like your, your stability in yourself because you know who your people are and you know where you come from and there's no question about it in that regard. You know, there's, there's this strong sense of self that, that comes from collective work. Um, and it's not the disillusionment of that self. Um, but it's also important to acknowledge the shadow um, because when you're dealing with ancestor work, uh, even if your family is great and you have amazing relationships with everybody and your family somehow that is like alive, you know, um, there's something there. Everybody's family has some sort of trauma or some sort of um, something like that that exists in the shadows of the family. And just because you don't know about it and just because they may not know about it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, it's kind of like an elephant in the room sort of a situation. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to, um, be kind to yourself when these sorts of things come up, because it's kind of impossible that everybody in your family has always ever been a good person for forever. You know, that's just not, that's not realistic in any kind of a capacity, no matter what your background (laughs) is. That's just not realistic. 
And so it's important to remember that like you are not them in the sense that like you are not a single ancestor. You are not exhibiting that person. Like that person is just part of this larger kind of prism. And then you are part of this, like you are the sum of that prism. Um, so the good and the bad um, with that as well, I think is, is really important because it's really easy for us to get super judgmental of ourselves. Mm-hmm when we find out we are related to people who are really terrible or we had these experiences with our ancestors and we're like, you were kind of an awful person. Like, why am I related to you? You know, even if you don't have kind of like a, you know, paper trail of this person and this person is just there, you know? And so one of the things within, um, when you're working with uh, Daniel for an ancestral healing is he's really big on like establishing boundaries right away because you need to be able to assess, you know, like, is this person, unwell if they're unwell then they need to leave the space because even if they're not malicious they're still going to be influencing you in a negative way you know mm-hmm. giving you bad days or or making you feel kind of depressed or something like that even if, if it's not them immediately trying to get you to drink or getting you to you know do these things that um are part of their shadow so they can merge with you um and so it's important to talk about that because it's part of the process um and you can't get to the riches of the blessings and the healing and the wellness and, you know, kind of like that without going through the crap. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I also think it, it, we also have a tendency to look at things through our very modern lens. Um, and I think it's important to remember that different times called for different behaviors and different values and things like that. So, you know, dealing with an ancestor who maybe had very different needs than you could also be difficult for someone to approach right away. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also kind of um, one of those things, too, where, like, when you're going through the work, um, it's important, like I said, to be kind to yourself. Um, take breaks. You know, I, I go through periods of breaks with all of this stuff after a while, you know. Um, so gauge your own comfort with that. And then also um, prepare yourself for kind of like the fact that you have to truly see yourself. That's part of the work is actually seeing yourself. And that includes all of yourself. Yeah. Not just the nice stuff, you know. And I, I personally find a lot of value in it, but I've always been steeped in this kind of an area. Um, you know, I mean, you've seen my birth chart, so like, it's not surprising. (laughs) I'm sure to you at all. Yeah. I've always (laughs) lived in this place, you know, so it's fine for me, but I understand that a lot of other people may struggle with having to actually kind of like see yourself as a person and not as your idealized form of yourself or not just your ego or something like that, but like kind of acknowledging parts of yourselves that are not necessarily what you want to acknowledge, you know, so like your own shadow. Um, But also you have to accept that the people before you, which includes your parents, your grandparents, all those people are also just people. And that's another thing that I think can be kind of a struggle for people sometimes, because if you do have a really wonderful relationship, you may have this idealized version, you know, and it may be really hard when you find out that they're also just a person and they were also just going through their own stuff, just like you, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And even if you have a really bad relationship with them too, the same is true. You know, it's important that when you're going through it, that you have your boundaries, but also you do have to acknowledge that it's a very human thing 
um, ancestor work is extremely human. Um, and that's part of one of the values that I find in it, because I think that it proves kind of like that at the end of the day, we're all just people. Yeah. Regardless of what's happened, you know, we're all just people. And I think it kind of like erases a lot of the kind of inner struggles that we may kind of feel in those regards too, because I think it allows for us to have a little bit more grace with other people when they're in these situations and kind of being like, okay, well, you know, you're just a person. It's okay. You know, we're all just yeah. people. Um, it's so that's that's totally. That. Yeah. So, okay. So how, how do you kind of, how do you, the, the, the bigger you, anyone who's looking to get into something like this, how do you really start to say, discover or introduce yourself to your ancestors? Yeah. Um, I would recommend probably doing it similarly to how I did it just cause that's how I'm familiar with it. So I would recommend making yeah. a tree, um, talking to your aunt, talking to your living relatives, if you're in a position to do so. Um, if you're not, then, you know, you can, you can remove that part, but I think <laughs> if you are able to, um, they can provide a lot of information that can be very confirming about your mm -hmm. spiritual experiences. Um, I had a experience with my pater my maternal grandfather's uh, paternal line. And it was really funny because during the ancestral lineage healing thing, um, we have to assess each of our primary lineages. And they're based on like your mother's mother's people, your father's father's people's kind of delineation there. So it's not everybody, but it's kind of like that to start. And my uh, grandfather's father's people, um, I saw them in like a room, like one of those old rooms in like the twenties, it's like underneath the bar where they're all playing cards and like smoking <laughs> and stuff, you know? Yeah. And, but it, of course it was in black and white, which I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but, uh, I like called up my grandpa and I was like, grandpa, did anybody in your family like to play cards? And he was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Both of my parents were hardcore about pinochle. And I was like, oh, that's probably why everybody was playing cards then, you know. And they're they're in that average kind of place there. But they're also a colonial line, which is not uncommon for colonial American lines to be more average um, in that regard because of the, their own disconnection from their land and the, everything. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, yeah, and um, so I would recommend, if you can, talking to your own relatives um about what they remember about what they the what their grandparents were like um it provides that human quality to it where when you're looking at them in your tree you're like oh i remember you know she was described as like you know a really savvy banker i actually have my grand my grandfather's one of my grandfather's grandmothers was apparently like this like hardcore like she was super savvy with finances and stuff in like the early 1900s. And I'm like, wow. who, like who even gave her a job? And then, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but apparently she was just like a real firecracker. Um, and so you get those sorts of human things when you talk to your family. Right. And so definitely talk to your family. Um, I think that um, from there, of course, I would recommend, you know, if you're in a position to do a DNA test, go ahead and do it. Um, remember the limitations of it. Um, I think it's best if you can speak with someone who knows a little bit more about what's going on when you get your results. 
because they're not at face value. Mm -hmm. Um, with that as well, if you're someone who feels confident, like you're, you're, you're a little bit more like me and you just kind of learned it all on your own. Um, then I would go through and I would, uh, focus on, you know, uh, the foods in those areas, what kind of food in that village or in that province was, you know, common and what kind of music did they listen to? What kind of, um, practices did they have? What does the land look like? What sorts of animals are native there? All that kind of stuff helps give you a, a broader picture, even if you can't physically go there, mm-hmm. of what that energy is like in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would recommend that. Um, meditations as well. Um, you want to establish boundaries first because of all the stuff we've been talking about, about the unwell ancestors and the merging and the shadows and stuff. You don't want to just invite any old person that you're related to <laughs> into your space. Um, so oftentimes... With that, you know, if you're someone who you do have a bigger struggle with your family in that regard, you know, maybe it would be better to do like a class like like Daniel Four's class to kind of like get that support with what you're doing. Um, I recommend his class anyway, but especially if you're someone who you're like, I don't know anything about my people or I don't know anything about um, whether or not they were good people or all my experiences are terrible that kind of support that's offered in the class would be really uh, beneficial to, to someone in that position, especially, um, but I've enjoyed in general. Um, so that's what I would recommend. Um, there are also a couple of podcasts from mythic medicine that I think are really great that are about like decolonizing your mind, Mm -hmm. um, and the ways that we project onto our environment. Um, so something that you can kind of anticipate, when you are starting the work is that um, if you are someone who gets nothing or feels nothing when you're trying to make connections, it's okay. It just, it, you probably have some sort of a subconscious block to it, you know, something like that. Like, like it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, it's not that everything's a sham or whatever, you know, like, like you, you don't have to get defensive about it. You could just say, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, as well, oftentimes um, we will have weird subconscious projections onto them when they first when we first start um, establishing connection, and so you may see some weird stuff, you know, and it may be stuff that you're just like, I don't even understand what's happening, you know. That's okay. Um, just go with it, even if it doesn't seem normal for someone in your area or normal for, for someone in who your ancestors are from or, you know, anything like that. Just go with it. And mm-hmm. over time, as you make your relationship to them, what isn't there, what is kind of a subconscious projection will start to fall away. Um, and so the example of my paternal grandpa, grandpa's people, they're not in black and white. I'm 100% sure that they lived their lives in color. But to <laughs> me, they should because when I think of the 20s, well, right. I think of everything in black and white, you know, so like I understood that like this is a subconscious projection, you know, like I'm thinking of like an old movie, an old Americana movie, you know. Um, and so it's important to just kind of accept that, you know, it's going to happen, especially initially while you're getting things going because you need to establish the connection so that you can trust that connection. Mm-hmm. And then what isn't true will start to fall away. I think, too, that, um, you know, you need to remember that, especially when you're, uh, sorry, a very loud motorcycle or something, 
Um, especially when you're dealing with spirit and you're dealing with entities that have kind of gone back into spirit, spirit talks a lot in symbols and, you know, it's going to try to impress upon you a meaning that you might not get at face value if it's presented exactly as it was. So, you know, for you, establishing a time frame meant mm-hmm. coming up in black and white. You know, if it wasn't in black and white, think about it. Would you have been like, oh, this could be 1940 something. This could be, mm-hmm. you know, like w- whatever it was that for you very specifically meant it must be the 20s mm-hmm. or thereabouts. So mm-hmm. you're going to get I, I can imagine I haven't done this a lot of ancestral work myself for a lot of the reasons we just talked about. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you are dealing with meditation and, you know, vision exercises, symbols come up in ways that they were not literally, you know, manifesting. So that is something to really, I think, keep in mind in any form of spiritual yeah. journeying. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it- it becomes more so that way that the more that you're interacting directly with the spirit, you know, um, and that comes up a lot when you're dealing with plants, for example, you know, when you're dealing with, with poisonous plants, especially because they have such a strong presence, you know? Um, and so you may have like experiences where you're like, well, that was really disturbing, you know, (laughs) you know, and it's not like a personal thing. It's not, you know, it's, it's something that's being conveyed to you, or it was a feeling that you needed to feel about whatever it was that it was trying to get you to get there for. And, um, so it's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where, like I said, you just need to be able to establish, your boundaries and you also need to be able to know what your own limitations are for what you can handle at that, at that point in time. And I can't really stress that enough um, because spirit doesn't have the same understanding of us in the sense of like, as humans, not at, we can't take everything psychologically at the same time. Like, like right now, you know, like, like we can't mm-hmm. take like everything that's ever going to happen to us, like, like right now, you know, um, from a psychological standpoint. And so that's part of why things tend to appear as like kind of breadcrumbs, like spirit is like kind of aware. So they're like, Hey, follow, follow this, this, this way, you know? Um, and so a lot of times things won't be revealed until you finish following the bread crumb, breadcrumbs. Right. And so, um, with that, you need to know what your own limitations are. You know, if you're not in a position for the information that they're trying to give to you, just be like, I can't right now. Like I'll come, like I'll come back to you. You know, I just need, I need to take some time for myself right now, you know, and just go back to it, you know, and that's okay. Like it's, it really is okay to take it at your own pace because like when you're dealing with ancestors, one, it's not like they're going to go away. (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. um two most of this work is considered like lifelong work anyway so like mm-hmm. it, you don't have to be in a hurry you know just because you're in a hurry doesn't mean you're going to get the information faster or more mm-hmm. accurately than if you just let things unfold as they as they needed to mm-hmm. um and so i think it's important to kind of acknowledge the whole fact that like you know making your tree DNA testing, um, I think that that you should do both as best as you can um, because they inform each other. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's important to recognize the limitations of those things and that you're not going to get everything that you ever needed to know about your people at that time. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not right. just going to come to you immediately and you're going to be enlightened and everything is going to make perfect sense to you now. Um, it happens over time and you can dictate kind of a little bit of, of, of that time is what I'm kind of, I think, trying to get at there. Um, and you don't know ahead of time what's going to happen, you know? Um, so like I said, with the Pandora's box thing, like there's definitely times where like you may uncover something and you're like, well, I don't want to deal with this for the next four months of my life. So like, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to put yeah. a pin in that. We're going to resume that later. Um, kind of a thing. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is something that has taken this long to get to where it is. And, you know, it's even, I think maybe important to remember that you're also not the end of this chain. You know, this is work that will continue after you. Um, this is work that hopefully will not be ended with you. I mean, it, it won't be ended with you, but I mean, like, hopefully someone else will pick it up after you and continue it on. Um, so it is okay. It's okay to not unravel all the mysteries at once. It's okay to not dive in head first and spend an entire week of your life just immersed elbow deep into it. Like, this is this is bigger than you. So, of course, it's going to be something that you need to put into a specific process and follow along as best you can. But that's that's it. Yeah. And I think um, one of the elements that I find uh, to be like the most freeing about the whole process in general is that it gives you the permission to just be a person. And we need that permission mm. because we live in a space that tells us we have to constantly be going. We have to constantly be productive. You know, like you're not worth anything if you're not doing something, you know, kind of this sort of, you know, like perfection ego mindset, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't allow room for mistakes and it doesn't allow room for us to just be people. And so I think that one of the benefits of ancestral practice is that it does provide you that approval. Um, you can just be a person and it's okay. We're all just people, you know? And so um, it also allows us to uh, embrace the nuances of our own experiences as a result um, and accept or kind of like highlight the beauty of the variance um, that exists within that nuance in all of us. Um, and so we retain our connection to the fact that we're human, you know, we're people. And that allows us to then be better individuals and, and show up more in our everyday lives and in our personal relationships with everyone, um, including the other than humans. Um, it allows us to be able to show up as our full selves, you know? Um, and I think it allows us to be better friends and better partners and, you know, just, just better people in that regard. Because if you can acknowledge that you can just be human, you can give someone else that permission to, and we really, like I said, we, we really need that um, in our lives. And so I think that it provides a very um, safe place for that to reside. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, it forces you to look at your string. How are you pulling the string? And how are you, you know, how is your string being affected by others? It gives you a very real look at the larger web. So. I think that's phenomenal. And I think that's a perfect kind of 
introduction and maybe something that can help us figure out where we're going and what's ahead by looking at what's behind us. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, yeah. This okay. So we're like an hour in. <laughs> um, so where can where can we find you? What do you you know? Where can we kind of look for more from you? Um, I'm on Instagram under uh, communing with spirits, um, and I also have my website um, attached to that as well, and. I believe I'm also on Facebook under communing with spirits. <laughs> I'm not very good with social media, as I'm sure you can tell here. Um, <laughs> but I primarily use Instagram and yeah. my website for those sorts of um, interactions. So you can find yeah. me there. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to Hex and Heal. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. And make sure to follow on Instagram for news on new episodes, projects, and more. You can find me at Fairly Theta. I'll see you again next time. Bye.